Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again. I'm just going to try to open up myself here. There we go. We are in our last week. This is the last sermon in our Lifestyle of Jesus series that we've been going through. We've been looking at the way that Jesus lived his life. So the things that we see him doing in the Gospel of Luke and how that's inspiration for us to do and live the same. Because what we see Jesus doing is not just simply applicable for us today. It is essential for us to follow Jesus' ways and to reflect and to image him. Because when we do so, we we are actually doing what we were originally created to do, which is to image God. When we do as Jesus does, we do what we were originally created to do, and that's to image God. Eugene Peterson wrote this, Jesus tells us what to do, yes, at the same time he tells us what God is doing. Because Jesus is God in action. Jesus is God speaking. Jesus is God touching lepers. Jesus is God forgiving a condemned and dying criminal and an adulterous woman. Jesus is God blessing children, as we saw last week. Jesus is God giving sight to Bartimaeus, life to Lazarus. Jesus is God weeping over Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we follow in Jesus' way, we image him and so we image God. Because Jesus shows us what God is doing. Whatever we see Jesus doing, that's what God is doing. That's God's heart. That's who he is. What we see Jesus doing is what God is doing. And what we see Jesus doing a lot of in all four of the Gospels, particularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is healing. See, apart from his teaching, what we most often see, actually, is him giving sight to the blind. Healing leprosy, cleansing people of demons, relieving ailments and pains. It was a significant part of his ministry, right? We've sort of been skipping over those parts in the Gospel of Luke, but that has been intentional. I wanted to finish this one. Not because it's the least important or because it's irrelevant, but because it's actually an emphasis in the Gospels. One that we don't often pay enough attention to. And just as a reminder, as I mentioned a a little bit earlier too, uh, we're we're going to be hearing some testimonies later on about those who have experienced the wonderful healing power of Jesus. So I'm going to keep my words rather short here. I'm going to be a little more brief and to the point so that we can have more time for that video. So we are looking this morning at Luke chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 43, so at the very tail end of the chapter. So you can even look for Luke chapter 19 and just go up a bit, if that's easier. And it'll also be up on the screen. So Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 35. Luke writes this, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. 
Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And with all the, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most assuring, yet also mysterious, yet also terrifying questions that Jesus ever asks someone, ever asks us, is the question that he asks the blind man in this narrative. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? God wants us to want him to do things for us. He wants us to be honest with him, to cry out to him, to depend on him. If you think back to the second sermon that we did in this series, God desires deep and intimate relationship with us where we are in continual communication with him all the time. He's never left out of any situation. He wants us to feel free, like the blind man did, to ask him for something, to ask for healing. Not because it would make us more comfortable or it would make our lives more better, but because it emboldens our faith. It points to the power of God and reminds us that this is what Jesus' mission is. This is what he came to do, and this is what he's going to be coming back to do in full. Back in chapter 7, in Luke chapter 7, John's disciples come up to Jesus wondering if he's actually the one that they're supposed to be waiting for. See, because Jesus isn't doing the things that they originally thought that, you know, the Savior was going to do. And this is what Jesus says to them. He replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard which is this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, the good news is connected with these signs that you see happening, that you're witnessing. These are signs of the kingdom come near. So perhaps the most obvious question for us to be asking this morning is, well, then why don't we see these signs more often? Right? Why do these signs only seem to happen in other countries, you know, with missionaries and, you know, youth that go on YWAM and come back and talk about all these things, and you go, cool, then we move on with our lives. Why does that always seem to be the case? Well, two things. First, I wonder if we in the Western world have simply lost our confidence and Jesus being able to do these sorts of signs. Because everything for us needs to be quantifiable, rational, logical, provable. Perhaps, you know, we've, we've assumed Jesus is a heavenly savior who doesn't really interact with earth anymore or doesn't need to. Because perhaps we in the West, with all our advances in science and medicine, which are such a gift, a huge gift, but perhaps they almost make us realize that we don't need miraculous healings to, to demonstrate the glory of God to us, as all those other cultures and countries need. Maybe we just don't need that. And so I wonder also if, if the reason we don't see more of this is simply because we aren't actually praying for it. Because something within us is almost afraid to pray for it. Because our difficulty is actually not whether or not God can, 
but whether or not he will. Because if he doesn't, then it leads to our questioning. You know, did I not have enough faith? Does God not want to see me healed? Did he not, does he not want to heal me? Did I not say the right thing? Well, it shouldn't really be this complicated. In some ways, we don't want to deal with the embarrassment or the discouragement of not seeing something happen. And so we don't bother. Or we're too afraid. But if the reason that we don't pray for healing more often is because we're afraid of being disappointed, then we need to be reminded of a couple things this morning. And the text we just read helps us with this. First, healing is not primarily about us. I'm going to say that again. Healing is not primarily about us. It's about demonstrating the power of God and pointing to his intentions for the world. Often it's actually for the sake of witness. Several times Jesus says that the people are witnessing these things so that they can believe. So that they can believe that he's God among them. It's why he says to them, your faith has healed you. It has nothing to do with the quantification of their faith. It has to do with the fact that their faith is in Jesus and not in something else. They witness these things. He says that they're, they're witnessing these things so that they can believe in him, not so that they can go back to living their normal lives again and be more comfortable. That's not the point. It's affirming that the power demonstrated by Jesus is the very healing power of the all-healing God. As Evelyn said in her prayer, the great physician. That's who he is. So if anything... We should pray for healing so that his glory can actually be manifested to us, through us, which is his body, right? We should pray that healing occurs so that his glory can be, be actually a witness to others and that they may be able to believe. It's why this passage ends with the blind man and all the people around him praising God because that's the appropriate response. That's the one that points to the goodness of God and not to ourselves. And if it's truly all about God's glory and pointing to him, then it can't depend on us at all. And you're going to hear that reiterated in some of these testimonies that we're going to hear. It doesn't depend on us. So the second thing that we need to be reminded of this morning is that praying in faith for healing must also then always be a prayer that trusts in the God of all outcomes. In no way does the Bible communicate that physical healing happened or should happen all the time, every time. It happened, but there were other times where we know and we read that circumstances didn't change. And yet their faith did not falter. It didn't need to become a faith crisis because they trusted in the God of all outcomes. Our prayers then must not demand anything of God. We're not asking that he has to or that he must or that he should. We know that he can. We are simply asking if he will. We're simply asking, will you, God? If he doesn't, we walk forward in faith. Trusting, trusting him, trusting that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, no matter what the situation is. And if he does, it's a gift. We receive it as a gift and we trust that it's for the empowerment and the encouragement of our faith. 
Hearing these stories builds our faith. We're encouraged, we're deepened, we're emboldened in our faith, and we give him all the glory because we've seen the power of Jesus' name at work. Nikki Gumbel, who's the founder of the Alpha Series, once said this, and I know a few of you have heard this. If we don't ever pray for healing, we will see no one healed. If we do pray for healing, we will see some healed by the power of God. And then he says this, and some is better than none. I'm going to admit, it's really hard to argue with that kind of logic. (laughs) So with that, we're going to transition now to watching a video. It's going to be a real good video. (laughs) Should I just keep talking? We're going to transition. Yeah, we're going to transition now. It's obviously a good time to transition to watching a video. And now just a little bit of context. When we first started this series, knowing that this topic was going to be coming up, I emailed some of our our fellow Willoughby pastors in the area just to ask if they knew of anyone who had witnessed or experienced a, a, a healing. Because really, what's more encouraging than, than hearing the testimonies of God's power at work in the lives of Christians who live in our own neighborhood, right? So ended up having four response, uh, four respond, and Ryan and I had the privilege of hearing and recording these four different stories from four very different individuals who are from right here in Langley. And it was such a joy. It was sad. Both Ryan and I walked away from those, list of those stories just going, wow. Wow. Each interviewee expressed afterwards how, how their healing experience impacted both themselves and their families and their friends with regards to faith, worship, and joy. Right? Again, it, was, it became a witnessing kind of experience. It led to worship. And so it's my prayer this morning that these stories can have a similar impact on us, that they can be an, an encouragement to us, They can be a way that our faith is actually emboldened and encouraged to believe in the great physician and the God who is capable of doing really anything. So let's watch that video. About a year ago or a little more, I was um, having a lot of lung infections. So uh, my physician uh, got me to do a CT CT scan. And it looked like I had this condition called bronchiectasis, which can sometimes lead to more frequent lung infections. In any case, he had referred me to a specialist. So um, it took a while before that happened. It was probably eight months or so. So I did that um, in the end of March, so not too long ago. Um, And then I followed up with her. And at that point, um, she told me that uh, they had found a um, nodule, an abnormal growth in my left lung, and she suspected it was cancerous, um, a cancerous tumor. And she was fairly certain it was, and she's very experienced. And so um, I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) now I have to deal with this. And initially, it wasn't even sort of, um, it was just sort of a shock, and I was rather overwhelmed. I was going through some other um, health issues as well at the time, so uh, it was sort of a lot of things, and then COVID on top of it, and so forth. So Um, In any case, um, she said, well, I want to get you in for a biopsy as soon as possible. Uh, There is treatment, Uh, you know, we can maybe, you know, take it out with a wedge or with a, uh, remove one of your lobes of your lungs or or even your lung or whatever. I think, you know, it's treatable. Um, 
you know, but of course you're, you're listening to all this and trying to process in a very quick phone call. Um, in any case, so uh, I was kind of left with that and I was um, like, wow, where do I go from here? So in any case, within two weeks, uh, which was the middle of April, um, April 13th to be exact, uh, I was scheduled for a needle biopsy, um, which made me very anxious. And uh, actually, I was more worried about that than I was probably about the whole future. And um, I, I wasn't that it was immediately scared of dying. Um, and I didn't, strangely enough, pray right away to say, oh, God, take this away from me. Like, I, I don't want cancer and I don't, I don't want to deal with this and so forth. I was more apprehensive around the, what the process would be. I think I'd never, I've never had surgery or anything like that. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, they're going to stick a needle in my lung and blah, blah, blah. In any case, um, I prayed, of course, and, and I had been somewhat anxious already due to some, um, I had some other issues, like I say, um, and, and the whole COVID thing. And I just kept reading Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. It became my mantra, you know, rejoice in the Lord. You know, um, God is here. And uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in thanksgiving, um, with prayer and petition. Um, and I kept thinking of that, and, and the gentleness, be gentle. Um, so I thought, okay, you know, God's giving me a message here. So I just have to trust him and just give it over. And uh, so I, I, I went in, and um, actually, quite, quite honestly, I was quite surprised because I thought my blood pressure would be off over the roof and so forth. And I was actually quite calm, and it was because I had prayed. And I just sort of said to God, okay, God, it's your, in your hands. I, I can't do anything about this. And so I'm just going to trust you. And um, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And so um, I went in and then um, fast forward a bit. I got measured for the procedure and everything. And then the specialist came in and they do an, a CT scan first to, for positioning. Um, and so I had that, and then I was waiting for the specialist to come in to do the procedure, and she came in and stood beside me and looked down at me and said, well, I, I have good news for you. I, I can't do the procedure. And I'm like, you can't do the procedure? And she goes, well, it's not there. And I'm like, out of this, you know, there's all these people in the room, of course, um, and I'm like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You know, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> and it was just amazing, right? And so she said, yes, she said, it's, um, I, I really, you know, it's dissipated to the point where there's nothing to biopsy. So I said, so what happens now? And she says, well, you go home. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I was just like stunned. I was totally stunned. And I mean, I just kept thinking, thank you, Lord. Like, is this real? Is this true? Um, and in any case, um, uh, two, a week later, I think it was, I spoke with my specialist. And she says, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. I, I honestly, I don't know. But whatever it is, um, it's gone. And I just kept thinking, how come? How come me? I don't, I'm nobody special. I don't deserve this. I, I, you know, why has this happened to me? At the same time, there's other people and children getting cancer and going through horrible things, and, and why me? And, and I'm, I came to the conclusion that I really don't know, other than I think I struggled all my life with the concept of grace. And I think always with that idea somewhere that I had to earn God's love, 
somehow by being better, by striving. Um, possibly the way I grew up had a bearing on that, you know, trying to always be better and do better and please and so forth. And so I really thought about it a lot and prayed about it. And I really think God was teaching me that you don't necessarily have to deserve anything because he did it for you. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve mercy and we don't deserve grace, but because of Jesus Christ, he loves us so, so very much that he gives us that. And that was the only reason that I could think of because I don't deserve it any more than anyone else. But praise the Lord that he loves us and he is infinitely, intimately involved in our lives, even when we don't think that he is, even when we think that he's forgotten. And I, I do believe it was a miracle. Um, it was truly something that the science could not understand and doesn't even know why, but I know why. And today I'm just thankful and I, I don't know what the future will hold. Maybe it'll come back sometime, I don't know or other things will happen. But I only know that I have to live in thankfulness. And, and that, that's what came out of it, I think, is that every day to be thankful for his grace, for his mercy, and to know that, yes, you don't, you don't work for it and you don't earn it, but he gives it to you anyway, because he loves you. Well, um... I had started taking some new medication for my diabetes. I had been warned that um, there would be some side effects, some nausea, um, all kinds of little things. And um, the first dose, the dosing was like 0.25, it's an injection, and it was 0.25 once a week for four weeks. So that went okay, you know, nausea and stuff. And then after four weeks, you double that dose. That 0.5 on the Friday um, was very, um, it was much more, it was double the dose. So I think it was at least a month ago. On that weekend, my husband was working on the island. So my daughter was gone at the camp. So I woke up Saturday morning and with cramps bad, bad cramps. And my phone was on my, beside my bed on the table there. And so I went to the washroom and I was in so much pain, like intestinal cramps, horrible, horrible pain. And it got worse and worse and worse to a point that I, okay, I'm all alone. I don't have my phone even to call 911 or whatever. I'm alone, I can't reach my daughter, I can't reach my husband, I can't even go and get my phone because I don't trust I'll make it. And I was really sick at that point. I was sweating cold, I was dripping with sweat from the pain. And of course, last resource instead of first resource. I cried out to God and I said, Lord, I cannot take this pain. I'm all alone. You are all I have. Please do something. And within 10 seconds, the pain was practically all gone. And um, I was so thankful. I was, 
Lord, thank you. I was surprised that it was so instantaneous. I've had other experience when I've asked for prayer and the anointing of oil and stuff. And um, the Lord has taken many ways, different ways. I've had to have surgery sometime and stuff. So healing is not necessarily right away, but this one was instant. I, it amazed me and relieved me. So now the few days after that, I was like, I couldn't believe, like I was telling everybody. <laughs> I guess I was like anybody and, and all my um, the friends and people who know me well, they know that I don't hide a lot of stuff. And uh, I enjoy sharing stuff that happens in my life. So that one went all around <laughs> on Facebook, on at church, you name it. So um, it was a witness for the Lord, and, and I just, it, to his glory, like he rescued me from from really bad situation. I guess I had to, I had to do the counting, right, because sometimes years seem to go back, go slower or faster than you think. But this would have been 2019, 2018 into 2019. So at the end of 2018, I started to feel... Um, a bit of pain and discomfort. Um, what I would say was like, like right where your stomach meets your esophagus kind of thing. Like you feel that feeling. And, uh, and I always kind of was told, oh, I think maybe you have a hiatal hernia, which is why I would kind of like, if I'm talking or if I'm preaching and then all of a sudden I can't quite say things, it kind of looks like I'm burping, but it's cause I'm, I kind of get things stuck. Yeah. And so, uh, so I just figured it was all an extension of that. Um, even having some acid reflux throughout my life because of that, um, but could always manage it by, you know, exercising or whatever, and then it would be okay. And uh, and but it started to become almost this daily thing where I could feel something, I could feel it, and it's and it started to hurt. So that was about like four months or so of that, um, and then of course now for those of you who have always lived in Canada, that that's like you would have gone to the doctor like the first day, but. Like, no matter how long I've been here, I still feel like I'm in the States. And in the States, if you don't have health insurance, you don't go to the doctor. And I grew up in a, like a pretty poor space, right? And, and never had health insurance. So you just deal with it. You just, you just you know, power through and, and, and you don't go to the doctor. So that old habits die hard. But what happened is we went to, uh, we walked down to the Cloverdale Rodeo, which is down from where we live uh, in Cloverdale. And, um, and we were there and I, I got, I hadn't eaten. I was really hungry. Got just got some I don't know, chicken. Like it wasn't even like a big deal. Right. And right there in the middle of everybody, I just, I had a, a, this moment where I just started, I couldn't even swallow it. Didn't matter how much I tried to drink. I started throwing up and, and, uh, and just came to the realization that something really not so good was happening. Uh, and so uh, not having a family doctor, uh, which is kind of <laughs> how we roll, uh, I had to go to the walk-in clinic and I, you know, and I said, now there's, and it, it happened again. So I started to have this recurring reality where I couldn't eat um, because I would, I would, I couldn't get it into my stomach. I would throw up um, and, uh, and they scheduled me for like a barium test or something. I'm going to get some of these things wrong. I'm going to get these doctors are going to be like, you you have to swallow this really gross stuff and then they put you in a room so they can 
take a picture of you with an x-ray and see if there's anything in there. But what was kind of alarming is that I kind of got a phone call right away after that from even the walk-in clinic. And they're like, we have to figure out what to do next here. And I kind of went, oh, like I was thinking this is, you know, a thing, but I didn't know if it was this big of a thing. But like I said, I did feel it every day. I could feel it every day. I could feel something. It's hard to explain, but I could just feel something wasn't right. Sometimes it was pain. Sometimes it was discomfort. Sometimes it was just something's in my body that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> like, you can't hardly explain it. And, uh, and so I got an opportunity to go to the specialist. So I kind of got to jump the line. Like, I had some privileged status to do that. But what really happened is he looked at my test that I had taken, and I could just kind of see it on his face. And he said, we need to do something quickly. We need to get you in to do a, see, I told you, I'm forget all the terms. I'm gonna, stick a, I'm gonna stick a camera down your throat. And I went home and it was still about another week before I had this thing. And I kind of was mulling over this stuff and I began to really pray about it specifically. So, you know, I pray every day, but in this case, I was just praying, God, I have to understand a little bit what's happening here. I have to, I, can you give me some understanding so that when this happens, when I go to get this test, when these results come back, whatever it is, like I'm in a position to, you know, still be the pastor of my church and be the, the father of my kids and the husband of my wife and know how to do that well um, and, uh, and with wisdom. And I started praying through it and then I started to be up at night with the pain. It started to become such real pain that it was there. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep well. And I think it was, well, I know it was two or three days before the test was scheduled. I was up that night and I was, I was praying. I said, God, you, you have to give me a picture. And I always make some of us uncomfortable when we start talking about like God speaking, but uh, it wasn't like God went, Hey, Josh, but I did. I, I, I said, God, can you help me understand? Can you show me? Um, he knows I'm a visual person. Some people are, are, you know, audio learners. I'm a very visual learner. And he gave me a picture, and I had never seen it before. But I saw the picture. I saw what it was. I saw what it looked like. And I went to Google. Now, I know you're not supposed to go to Google, but I said, I know the picture. So I didn't search for disease. I didn't search for anything. I just started to describe the picture until I found the picture. And it was as though it was the exact same picture that had, God had given me. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew that this was the picture and I clicked on it and it said esophageal cancer. And it explained that oftentimes in these cases, because it's an internal thing that you can't really monitor by the time you finally figure out that that's what it is and that that tumor has grown and all of that, this is like a three month deal. Um, and it's like, I looked at the numbers and it was like, you know, <laughs> basically 0% survival rate because it just progresses so far into other tissues by the time you actually know it's there. And so that was sobering. I didn't run to my wife and say, hey, guess what? God showed me that I'm going to die. Um, so I, I sat on it for a day. And then I remember that the night before I went to get the test, I, I finally kneeled down and you know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible of Hezekiah where he prays and God's like, you know, he gives him 12 more years or something like 15 years. Let's be, better get it right. Uh, and I've always been so intrigued by that 
account in the Bible because it seems that something kind of broke in Hezekiah after that. He was like this man after God's heart doing all this stuff. And then pride kind of sinks in like he knows he's going to live for 15 more years. And, and then God's like, I, you know, you're, you, you, things aren't going to go well for you and for, you know, for your kids. And he's like, oh, that's all right. At least it's not going to happen in my day. And he doesn't pray for his kids or anything. And, you know, if you just read the Bible close enough, you realize that when Manasseh becomes king, he's 12. So it's in this extra 15 years that Manasseh is conceived, and Manasseh is like the holy roaring terror of, of, of kings. And so you realize that maybe in God's great wisdom, he realized it probably would have been best for Hezekiah and for his people for Hezekiah to pass. And as hard as that is for us to understand in this kingdom-like long reality, I had to s stop for a minute and I remember I, it was the living room was so simple and easy, and I just got on my knees and I, I said, God, I, I, I want to be the pastor of Kingdom Life Community Church. Um, I want to be the father of my kids. Um, I want to be the husband of my wife. But God, if for your kingdom and for our church and for my family and even for my own salvation my own like walk with you if what is best is that you take me now so that your kingdom can have the best of what it needs so that my family can have the best of what it needs then god would you take me now and not let me be a stumbling block to your people and so the next day i went to the test and <laughs> I felt like, you know, as I was going in, everybody would talk to me and they all just felt so bad for me. You could hear it in their voice, the way they treated me. It was like I was already, you know, dead. And, and I thought, man, this is really strange, but the whole time still feeling that. And I sat down and God said, you know, very clearly just gave me this sense like it's going to be okay. And, and the pain got worse and worse and worse as I was sitting there. And some people said, oh, this was just all in your head. Maybe. But listen to this whole thing. All Suddenly, momentarily, and I realized that if we try to talk about this scientifically, if we try to talk about some of this may not make sense. But there is something that sometimes what God will have us feel, I think, so that he can affirm of what's happening may not match with the science, but doesn't mean it's not happening. And suddenly, I mean, I mean suddenly, I mean 10 minutes before they took me in, I felt this dislodging of something right above my stomach. And I felt the pain go away. And then I felt like this, and it felt like a glob was moving through my system, like out of my system. And then of course the drugs kicked in. And I didn't remember anything. I just woke back up. And they told me they'd stuck a camera down my throat. And I was like, huh, I don't remember any of that. And then the doctor didn't come or nothing. And they just sent me home. And my wife goes, well, did they tell you anything? I said, no. She says, well, what happened? I said, well, I'll tell you what happened. I said, about 10 minutes before I went in there, whatever was there left. It moved away. 
I said, I don't understand that. I don't know what's going on. I don't feel any pain. No, this is, people need to understand. I didn't take any medication. I didn't take, like, there was nothing that happened between point A, where it was like, we need to do something about this, pain every day, can't eat food, to point B, where all I did was go and have the, the camera stuck down my throat. That's it. I said, I'm okay. And she goes, well, how do you know? I said, I just know. I just know I'm okay. I said, because I told God it was okay. And then he told me, no, it's okay. I said, I'm okay. And sure enough, three weeks later, you know, they call me back in. And the doctor kind of looks at me and he goes, so there was nothing there. He says, you have a hiatal hernia, it's fairly significant. That's going to change the way, you're going to have to change the way you live because of it. Because it can, of course, really result in cancer. But you don't even have pre-cancer in there. I took all these other things. I said, he said he couldn't find what was on the original tests. And I told him, I said, that's because. <laughs> I said, I don't know where you live. I said, but I want you to know that God told me it was okay. But I know for a fact in my heart of hearts that I had esophageal cancer. And God in his grace and his mercy uh, and his power took it away. During my teenage years, I'd suffered a lot with my back. I'd had a lot of herniated discs. I wore all the time what we would call today a surgical appliance from my hips uh, right up to my shoulders. And I don't know if it had whale bones or what it had in it, but it was something just to keep my back rigid and, and try and hold everything in place. I had an extra vertebra. I had a vertebra that was cracked right across. My whole pelvic girdle, this bone structure around here, um, was deformed and uh, things were not looking good. I suffered a lot of pain. I missed a lot of school. Um, I had a, a thick, rigid wooden board under my mattress to try and give me extra support at uh, night time. I'd had uh, physio and manipulation. I'd had a course of spinal injections. And all that the medics could offer me was to come into hospital when I was 22, because by then I think everything has done its growing skeletally, uh, come in when I was 22 for 12 months. They would operate initially, and then I would be in a plaster cast uh, from my shoulders down to my hips for six months. Then that would come off, and the second six months in hospital would involve therapy and them teaching me to walk again. And they hoped there would be success but they couldn't guarantee it, but they hoped it would solve my back problems. So that's the context. And a friend and I, we went uh, from London, where we both lived in the UK, we went down um, for a weekend away on the south coast of England. Um, and we stayed with some family friends of mine. He was a Baptist pastor. And uh, we just went for a weekend away by the sea. And when we arrived on Friday, we were just, um, you know, getting to know one another again and so on. And he said, so Val, how's your back these days? 
And I said, well, it's just the same, but there's nothing anyone can do about it. And he looked at me right in the eyes and said, nothing anyone can do about this. Aren't you leaving the Lord out of it? And you could have knocked me down with a feather because it had never occurred to me that God even knew about my back problems. Or even if he did, surely he was far too busy with more important people than me and more urgent world situations than me having a weekend away by the sea with a bad back. And so I, I was just sent into a whirl, really. And he said, if you like, before you go back, to London on Sunday afternoon, I'll pray with you and um, ask God to touch your back. Now, I, my Christian background, I did know the Lord at this time. I'd come to the Lord as my personal saviour when I was 12 years old. That had been very real all through my teenage years. Um, but I'm so grateful for so much of my Christian heritage, church-wise, denomination-wise. But one thing I never heard about was that Jesus might heal today. And I threw myself into the Psalms, and that weekend I was reading Psalm 18, 19, and 20. And there's a lot in those Psalms about calling out and crying out to the Lord, and also about him rescuing us and about his victory. And in, in one of them, I don't know if it's Psalm 20, but in one of those three, the psalmist writes, um, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that really impacted me. And I thought, well, surely that is the same today. That, yes, me in this little seaside town um, on the south coast of England, I can trust in the name of the Lord my God because he's already my saviour. He's already real to me. And if Jesus Christ, I began thinking, is the same yesterday and today and forever, if in God's word I read about him healing people, then surely he can do it today. So really that weekend I was going back and forth over this whole could he, would he, will he, should I ask, etc. That whole dilemma. Um, and so Sunday afternoon came and our bags were packed and I thought I'm not saying anything. And he said to me, so Val, would you like me to pray with you before you go? And I said, well, all right, if you want to. And he said, oh, yes, you know, come, come through. We went into their sitting room and uh, he sat opposite me, a bit like you are now. My friend was beside me. And uh, he said, well, let's just look in Luke chapter 13. Um, Jesus, yes, the woman bent double. And she'd been bent double for 18 years and I was 18. And this was on the Sabbath, and this was Sunday afternoon, which was my Sabbath. 
So I thought, well, there's a lot of similarities here, but she was bent double, so it sounds like a back problem. And Jesus came and touched her, and then we read, she stood up straight. And so he just read this story while he's reading it. I'm, any faith I had was just just floating away somewhere out through my toes. And so he, he read this story and then he said, well, if it's all right with you, I'll pray. And so I said, no, 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 just a minute, just a minute, Gordon, that was his name. I, I feel as if any faith that I have had, it, it's just all disappeared on me. I, 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 you know, maybe we better not. And his response was, that's all right. I've got faith God can do it. So don't you worry about that. I'd love to pray. And so I thought, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest and owning. I don't think I've got faith for this. But he was being honest and owning. But I have. I know God can do it. And we're not demanding. We're not dictating. We're just saying, Father, will you? In Jesus' name, will you? So he came and stood in front of me, laid his hands on my shoulders, and my expectation is zero at this point. Um, but he said he had faith. Um, and he laid his hands on my shoulders, and he prayed, and he simply asked Jesus to come and do what he loved to do when he was literally here on the earth. And he knew all about my back, just like he'd known all about the woman who was bent double. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come and would you touch thou now and heal this spine and put everything right that needs to be put right. Bring it into order. Restore. Make new. Take away the pain. And just put her back together the way she's supposed to be. So that was the sort of prayer he prayed. We're asking, Father, in Jesus' name. So come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Something like that. And all I can say is it was as if I had been plugged in to an electric socket on the wall. Now, I, my expectation, as I said, is zero. And I've never read anything, heard anything, been anywhere. But it was like I was plugged in and I felt this tremendous heat and power going down my spine from the top here, my neck, over and over and over and over again. It was nothing scary. It was nothing unpleasant. It was just amazing, heat and power. So I'm sitting there, um, not thinking, ah, what is happening? But thinking, something's happening. God's doing something. That was totally beyond my experience. And to be honest, as I said before, it's beyond my expectation. I'd never heard of anything like this happening, but I knew it was God. And then he said, well, 
Jesus very often asked people who received healing to do something they couldn't do before. So I said, I've not been able to bend over, let alone touch my toes, uh, all this time. And he said, well, have a go. <laughs> so I thought, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's just happened. But I do believe God is in the place. And I do believe it's, he's the one who's just touched me. So let's have a go. Well, I went down, I came up, I went down, I came up, I went down, I came up. I twisted all the way around that way and all the way around that way because anything like that was not a good idea and would be very painful. I did all sorts of acrobatics. It was amazing and wonderful. And I started to say, God has healed me. Jesus has come. He's done what he did when he really was here on the earth. But now he is by his spirit. He's done it again. And for me, it was the most incredible, miraculous healing. And not only was that a healing I received, but it so um, encouraged my faith. And that's something that I've sought to see God grow um, from that time on, all through my adult life. Lord, just expand my heart to receive more of yours. Uh, you know, grow my faith um, that I can expect you to do the unexpected. You are the one for whom nothing is impossible, nothing is too hard or too difficult. And uh, so, you know, as I've prayed with people, I've seen lots of remarkable healings, praying in someone's front room, praying with somebody in their car, praying with somebody in a church building. It doesn't matter because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so I give him all the glory uh, for this wonderful, wonderful healing. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.